Having talked about all these levels of complexity in the domain that we are applying our human measurement and training science and technology, I was reminded of early in my career, an episode where we were tasked to take our tools, our team training tools, our decision-making training tool that we have developed for warfighting, for improving the warfighting decision-making of our armed forces and apply them in a mission that was quite different. And I'm talking about Bosnia about 20 plus years ago, where our warfighters were super expert in their domain suddenly had to change, but not just suddenly, but on a daily basis, they had to migrate between their warfighting mode with very nefarious people wanting to do their harm and wanted to do the population harm to becoming peacekeepers and almost at some level, social workers. And that migration between those skills, those very complex skills of warfighting to the very complex skills of peacekeeping was not trivial at all. We were very challenged. We're dealing with very smart soldiers, very smart warfighters, but it was terribly difficult for them to be able to maintain those two minds at the same time. It was not on the very same day two very different missions, one dealing with warfighting, another one dealing with peacekeeping. And they had to switch the way they were making decisions. They have to switch the way they were assessing the situation. They had to switch the way they were evaluating danger. What you are doing right now is taking all these tools and these smarts and these theories of human performance and these sophisticated measurement tools and bring them into a different domain, which is a law enforcement domain. Sean, I will ask you first, how did we decide to make that jump? Was there a particular project that led you to lead this initiative to switch from one domain to another? Yeah, I think you point out some critical issues in the way that people have to be dual-hatted when you're in harm's way. The reason we pivoted, in some sense, to law enforcement had to do with a program that DARPA was running about 10 years ago called the Strategic Social Interactions Modules Program. And I won't get into the details of the program itself, but fundamentally what it was looking at was exactly as you described. Are there ways to help Marines and soldiers who have joined their military services because they want to protect the country They've now been put into roles of civil government in some sense, and it's a very hard transition to make. So one of the things that we looked at was, well, is there a model of competency for people who are put in dangerous situations but have to manage them the way you would in a civil organization? So that's when we started looking at law enforcement as that competency model, if you will. Because police officers, in the best of circumstances, go from situation to situation to situation that might be completely different. You don't know what's on the other side of the door when you knock on the door when there's been a call for a disturbance. It might be somebody who is sick or somebody with mental illness or somebody who is violent or somebody who has mental illness or somebody who doesn't speak English. You don't know what's behind door number one, door number two, and door number three. And we found that the very methods we've been talking about in Spotlight in measure development could be used to measure 
the capability of those peace officers for both the tactical portions of their jobs and the softer skills that they need to do for their jobs to manage difficult situations, dangerous situations. And it's had this nice feedback effect because some of those same measures could then be used in a number of military contexts where there are analogous activities that need to be accomplished to achieve the goals of the mission. Thank you. Courtney and Evan, I'm going to ask you to give me some examples based on your own experience. And I realize that the depth of your experience is primarily in armed forces situations or military situations, but experience in the law enforcement domain in which you had not just to use similar tools and customize your tools, but also detected that there are some things that actually are different in terms of the skills that we need to coach these folks with. Courtney, you want to jump in and then Evan? So I want to use what Sean just talked about and characterize it as ambiguity. We had a situation with a Massachusetts police department that was very interested in getting some support in some of their training. And they had a semi-annual field exercise that was a couple of different traffic scenarios. Each one of those traffic scenarios was designed to present an ambiguous situation to the police officer. So going back to what Sean's talking about, you don't know what's behind door number one. I mean, you could expand on that for hours and talk about all the ambiguous situations that a police officer faces. And it's not about knowing how to put somebody in restraints and put them in the car and then fill out some paperwork. It's about dealing with citizens on an everyday basis, about being an advocate, about being a supporter, about differentiating who the bad guy from the good guy is, or understanding how to keep the bad guy from becoming a bad guy or a worse guy. So this ambiguity theme was existent in all of these different scenarios. And the one that sticks out in my mind the most is the officer pulls up to two vehicles and both of the drivers, occupants of the vehicles are standing out in the street and they're agitated. They're screaming at each other. Unknown statements are coming out because the verbal diarrhea is just anger and frustration. So what's the police officer's first move here, right? It's like, oh, I'm going to put both of these guys on the ground. That's not going to get us anywhere. I'm going to figure out what's going on, diffuse the situation and try to bring these two out of their hostility environment and back into society and then decide from there whether something needs to be done further from the law enforcement perspective or send them on their way. And that is a snap decision that the officer needs to make because he can't sit in his car and think about it for a little while. These two could go to blows any second now. Got to get out of that vehicle. Got to move on that situation in the most effective way that they know how so that they don't add fuel to an already sparking fire. That's a very good example of this notion that we used to call on the peacekeeping side of things, teaching tactical patience. But Mm -hmm. tactical patience is not tactical passivity. It means that patience in taking steps to gain control on the situation and diffuse it, Mm -hmm. as opposed to being very quick, say, on the proverbial trigger and moving in and trying to stop the situation without understanding first the nature of the situation, which is really something for survival and for mission effectiveness. A lot of the warfighters, the military tradition has been trained people to act very fast. 
And we used Spotlight in that particular case. And the measures that we included in that were a combination of technical measures as well as measures that dealt with this ambiguity, right? So we might have had a measure that pertained to the physics of parking the vehicle in the correct way. And that's important. But the essence of the scenario is, is the officer understanding the situation, maintaining order without exacerbating the situation. And those are the measures that are the most important to capture because those are the ones that help the instructor evaluator deliver that proper feedback. And those were the measures that were the most contentious afterwards where the officer says, well, now hold on a second here. What did I do wrong? Or I did it this way. And as Evan had talked about before, the video showed, well, here's where you demonstrated some bias towards this guy versus this guy, which agitated this guy, et cetera, et cetera. And those measures really do have a powerful impact because they can support that understanding and that feedback. So obviously, Evan, our audience is going to be very sensitized to the current events and the different accusation both for and against police behavior. But sometimes, no matter on which side of the political spectrum you stand, you have to realize that law enforcement officers are humans too, and they have their own cognitive and behavioral challenges facing ambiguity like the rest of us. The question is, can we, through science and technology, train folks to actually make the best out of those situations to know that there are alternative ways to control the situation without being very fast on the trigger? Evan, tell us a little bit about your own experience you work quite a bit with another region, not the Massachusetts region like Courtney was describing, but Central Florida. Yeah, so that makes me think about how the training of how to respond in these situations, we can look at training the types of behaviors we want to see. And it isn't always a train at once and you know what to do, right? But it's more of a constant and persistent thing. So when it comes to anyone doing their you know, annual refresher training, that's helpful, right? But it's likely not going to have long-term effects and impacts. And what we can do using science and technology is be able to take performance that is being captured, measure and assess that, and have that be something that's on a more frequent basis which over time can help to correct certain behaviors, adjust maybe poor decision-making skills, present other options or ways of handling situations. And like we've been talking about, you know, the other side of the training point is learning. And so being able to correct where each person is maybe weak in areas and be able to tailor that feedback and over time provide the opportunity for that training to take different forms. And it's something that's not just a one and done or once a year, but being able to gather data and provide that feedback in meaningful ways. Sean, you want to add to that? Yes. When Courtney and Evan were talking about ambiguous situations, it reminded me of some work we were doing in the development of spotlight measures at a police academy on the West Coast. And this was the capstone activity for these police cadets. They went from station to station experiencing something, and they were being measured on how they would perform. Some of the things they were being trained on were very tactical. But one of them, I think, really exemplified this kind of ambiguity. 
This is what happened. The police officer would roll up on his cruiser to an apartment building to find that there is a man on the third story holding a child and threatening to drop the child from the third story of this building. And they had to decide how to handle this. They're too far away to be physically there. If they try to approach them physically, the man might drop the child. The child, by the way, was being played by a doll in this situation. So there was nobody who was actually in danger. But in spite of that, the adrenaline, the anguish, the ambiguity of the situation, trying to deal with use of force and should we shoot this guy and what should we do was almost overwhelming for some of these cadets. I saw people burst into tears on the implications of whatever their actions might be. In this particular case, what was happening was there was one moment in the stage scenario where they put the child down and they come to the edge. And at that point, use of force is warranted. It's legal by the rules in that state. So as we were thinking about the measures that we could develop to try to capture their performance, there was a set, as Courtney was saying, of the mechanics of police work. And then there was another set that had to do very explicitly about the decision-making process. Sometimes there isn't a perfect solution, but learning how to think, uh, how to make decisions in critical situations is part and partial of police work in those most critical times. The development of measures for that purpose will go a long way in ensuring that you're clear-headed and you have a way to break situations down and make decisions that are going to save lives. Thank you, Sean, for this very vivid description. Indeed, I think that the audience can imagine themselves. What would they do in those cases? And it is not always about what we hear in the popular press, you know, about systemic bias or other things like that. That may exist, but there are some fundamental, fundamental human behaviors here and fears and dealing with ambiguity that are at work here in which I think we as human performance experts could help quite a bit. 